You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So, all of you uh, Vimeo folks, stay with us. If you have your version uh, Bibles, if you'll go ahead and pull them up. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, go with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 3. We're going to talk through the story together. We're going to think about what it means to be the people of God in light of this story. So if you will, stay with this. Um, Turn to Acts chapter 3. So the scriptures, before we do that, I need you to know the scriptures often speak. The scriptures often speak in the we form of storytelling. What I mean by that is it's not the me form of storytelling, it's it tells, us, it tells us stories that involve people, right? Not just a person. So keep that in mind as we turn to <clears throat> Acts chapter 3. So here's the context. So Peter and John are headed to a prayer gathering at their place of worship. And they see a paralyzed man begging for money just outside the temple gate. Now they don't give him money and they don't give him food. They don't give him money, they don't give him food. Because in their case, they could do much more. Even though it would cause trouble for them. So instead of doing the least they could do, money and food, they do the most they could do. You with me? They're not half-hearted disciples. They're not going to give anybody leftovers because they didn't give God or their leftovers and God didn't give them leftovers. They're going to give all that they can give. God is generous and everything Jesus said and did is proof. They had seen it with their own two eyes and heard it with their own two ears. And so what they did instead was they called upon the power of God and they healed this man. The power of God healed this man. And that creates all sorts of trouble. And that's where we are. So if you don't have a Bible, listen carefully because it's going to be a lengthy reading. Kind of follow through with it. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 9. All the people saw him, talking about the man who had been healed, walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's porch. And when Jesus saw this, he addressed the people. And listen to what he said. He said, fellow Israelites, notice the solidarity. Why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power, our godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, listen to this, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate. Now let me pause there. He doesn't say who some of you handed over, does he? He doesn't say who some of you probably were literally there and some of you probably didn't. He just looks at the whole group. At their whole people, at their whole selves as a people, and says, you handed them over. There's a collective responsibility in their own national story. Are you hearing me? Be clear. Y'all with me? There's a collective, there's a collective responsibility in their story as a people. And so he says in verse where is it? Verse 14. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. 
You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of that. By faith in his name, his name has, been made, has made this man strong whom you see and know. So that faith that comes through Jesus has given him his perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in, what's the word? Ignorance. Just as your leaders did also. <clears throat> See, the reality of this little opening dialogue here that Peter is, that, well, that Luke is introducing us to, is that we see that the leaders in this story and all the people in the story couldn't see. See, he wanted them to know that they may not have seen what they needed to see, but they were responsible for what they didn't see as well as they were responsible for what they did see because of what they were literally witnessing right then. See, these leaders couldn't see, and what caused them not to see is what often causes us not to see. And there's two kinds of not seeing, two kinds of blindness. I want to I want to talk about this as we move into this conversation today. One form of blindness leads us to act out of just plain ignorance. But there's another form of blindness that leads us to act out of just plain stubborn denial. So we'll call this one form of blindness cultivated blindness. Everybody say cultivated blindness. And then there's another form of blindness called willful blindness. Everybody say willful blindness. Now, here's how cultivated blindness works. Cultivated, meaning developed over time. It's a, it's a blindness that is developed over time. It's something that many of us, if not all of us, possess. We're taught to know what we're taught by those who teach us. And we don't know what we don't know. And so over the course of time, we just learn how life works. And we accept it as the way things are until one day we learn something new. Maybe, maybe our eyes awaken. Maybe we start thinking critically about life in society. Maybe we start thinking what it means critically to live in my body or what it means to be a part of my family system or to be a part of my nation, national history or to be a part of my church family or have my religious upbringing. But we start thinking about it critically and all of a sudden our eyes begin to awaken and our consciousness begins to open. And we start discovering that things aren't always what we thought it was. We start realizing that my mama acts this way because her mama acted this way, and my dad acts this way because his daddy acted this way, and I started acting this way because I was taught to act this way, and I didn't know I was acting a particular way until I entered into another relationship that showed me that way wasn't healthy. Are you with me so far? Come on now. Or maybe what we do is we hear about our national story, and we think, well, here's how things were, and then all of a sudden we start waking up and realizing, okay, things aren't always what I thought they were. It's not what I was told. And all of a sudden I start seeing that, that there's different realities at work in the world. And I'm starting to awaken to what really is. Some of us, and I, I like to talk about this uh, a lot when I'm talking about trauma. But some of us were handed a 45 card deck of cards to play in a 52 card deck of life. And we've been playing our 45 cards for the longest time at this 52 card deck. Not realizing that it was really a 52 card deck we were sitting at. Until we realized we didn't have some cards. And then somebody looks at us and says, you ain't got the cards. And we say, I don't have the cards. These are the only ones I have. And so we start learning new things and we start cultivating new behaviors and new habits. We start learning new stories. And it opens up life to us in a way that we've never seen before. As we start thinking critically about life and society and our eyes open and our consciousness awakens, we discover another part of the world that's actually ours to experience. And here's the thing. It may be difficult to process when we learn that. It's hard to wake up one day and realize that the way you were taught wasn't 
the whole story. It's hard to wake up one day and realize that the way you were raised isn't the most sustainable, healthy way of going about life. And so we start having a difficult time processing. And we may even feel indicted or judged. You hear me? Like we may start looking at it going, well, now I feel guilty about it. And we don't like the way that feels. But because we want to be mature, and because we want to be honest, and because we want to be deeper human beings and better neighbors, we'll open ourselves up to it. Because we know that's what it means to grow, despite the pain. And it's okay to mature and grow, because maturity and growth is hard. And so we resist the urge to settle into the old story that we learned and the old way of doing things and we press into the new way. Now, in the Christian tradition, you know what we call this? Being born again. We call this obeying the gospel. It's when you have to relearn how to be human again. That shouldn't be news to us. The thing is, as we grow in our faith, we start growing in our understanding of what it means to be human in the world, and we start opening our eyes to see. See, the, the closed eyes that we bring to those conversations is what we call cultivated blindness. But if we do not grow, if we do not open our eyes, if we do not allow our consciousness to be awakened, and we see something that we don't like because it makes us uncomfortable, or it indicts us, or it makes us feel unnerved, or we don't like the beliefs now that we are confronted with, and so we choose instead to settle back into what we know despite what we see, we know we're playing at a 52-card deck game with 45 cards, and somebody's offered us seven cards to add to our deck, but we don't want those seven cards because we're used to the 45. That's what we call willful blindness. And that's a dangerous thing. See, because we don't like the threat to our way of life. We don't like the possibilities that we could lose friendships or maybe have to change beliefs. And so we give in to the urge to settle and dig deeper into denial. And you want to know what happens sometimes in an effort to make sense of all this? In an effort to make sense about the feelings we start to feel when we don't like what it is we are seeing in ourselves or others of the world or our own story. And we don't like it and we want to deny it and people try to tell us something different, you know what we do? We, we, then, we then see the opposition as a threat, and so then we find labels, and we attach them to those labels. And we start name-calling, because that's how we make ourselves feel better about the whole thing in the first place. Now, the reality is that's what's happening in the story. Like, that's, that's absolutely what's happening here. And Peter is trying to say, you did this. This is a part of your story, so you have some complicity to this story. You have some accountability, because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. But when we do know, we must do something about it. And when we see and hear something that is meant to open our eyes and awaken our, conscious, our consciousness, then we are held accountable for what we know. Are you with me? So look at verse 17. So that's why I think Peter says, and, and now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders did also. I know you didn't know, but what's he mean? 
But now you know. So look at what he says in verse 18. In this way, God fulfilled that he, what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, what's the word? Repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Beloved, when we are confronted with the things that we don't know, and it awakens us because of the cultivated blindness of our lives, when we allow ourselves to just relearn something as hard as that may be, or accept something as true as this uncomfortable as that may be, you know that it is for our good. It is to bring about a season of refreshing. It's a lot more fun to play a 52-card deck a game with 52 cards. Raise your hand if you need a little seasons of refreshing. And when we awaken to these things, when God is liberating our consciousness and our eyes to see the things we didn't always know, no matter how hard it may be, it is for our good. But if we dig in to willful blindness... Because it's too uncomfortable or it indicts us or it indicts my mom or dad or my grandparents and the family system or my nation or my church or my religious background and my faith tradition and we just deny it. It's, kinda, it's a form of captivity. It's a form of captivity. And we'll go on knowing it's a 52-card deck game trying to play it with 45 cards. We are held accountable for what we've seen and heard in our lives and our society and how it relates to what we've seen and heard in Jesus. And that's what we learn from Peter and John in this story. Look at how it keeps going, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them. So who showed up now? Somebody called the police. Somebody called the political leaders. Now law and order is on the scene. And got to stop all this trouble that has been stirred by these disciples. That's, that's what the text says. And so they get confronted. Verse 2. Because they were annoyed, it says, that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Verse 3. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Some people opened their eyes and their consciousness and believed and 5,000 of them were liberated. But the people in power didn't like it so much, so they incarcerated Peter and John. Verse 5, the next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem. So now they called all the people in power. You see that? Now the court is in session. Scribes are attorneys. They've called court in session. That's the text. Not only that, they called the high priest, Annas, and then Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. I don't know who those dudes are, but they must be important because they're all members of the high priestly family. So they called all the power players to the courts to confront Peter and John for the trouble that they were stirring. In verse 7, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Beloved, if you're ever questioned for doing right trust, the Holy Spirit will fill you to give you the right answer. You just go ahead and you feel good about the Spirit in you. You just got to do what's right. And the Holy Spirit filled Peter. And he said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, 
If we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, what does he say? Whom you crucified. Now he's actually probably talking to the right people. The you applies here in a big way. But I need you to step back for a minute and notice that Peter didn't make a distinction with the you. Whom you crucified. And whom God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing here before you healthy. Now it's also important to know that Peter didn't try to get the glory for it either. This Jesus, verse 11, is the stone rejected by you builders which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Now, I wish I could say the text reads, And all of the people in power heard the, word, heard the words of Peter, filled by the Holy Spirit, repented and believed, and they too were liberated and saved. But that is not how the text reads. See, the sad reality of society then and sad reality of society now is that those who hold the power to imprison and torture are committed to willful blindness and the status quo. Fear and power is their weapon. Violence is their witness. And this is the long-term result of willful blindness. When people in power are confronted with the truth and they don't want to receive it, they do what they know to do, and that is to threaten with the power they hold. But for those who follow Jesus, the violence and the status quo is called into question. Truth and critique becomes their protest. Self-giving love is their witness. And here's the thing that I want us to see among all the pieces of the story. And they do it together. Everybody say together. They do it together. Listen to Peter and John's words in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Listen to the text. Peter and John answered them. Now, I'm sure they didn't talk at the same time. But Luke wants us to know that they were speaking with one voice. Are you with me? Peter and John answered them. <clears throat> Whether it's right in the sight of God for us, everybody say us, for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we, everybody say we, we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They didn't do this alone. They did this together. They participated in the presence of God together. They participated in the work of God together together. They were called to question by the powers together. They stood before the powers together. They stood up against the conflict together. They wrestled through it together. They were imprisoned together and they were liberated together and they stood with their lives on the line together. They did it together. They didn't do it solo. Are you with me? Now, I wish I could say that the people in power said, you know what, you're right. My bad. You go on, go and speak your... They didn't. Look at what it says. Verse 21. After threatening them further. What did we say about people in power? After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. But I need you to see... There's no me. There's only a we in this story. 
And this we-ness of this story leads to a deeper and greater sense of we. See, because Peter and John could not deny what they had seen and heard in Jesus because they saw it and heard it what? Together. They saw it and heard it together. They saw and heard Jesus together. They, they could not help but talk about how they saw and heard Jesus say, love your neighbor and give to those who need without expectation of being paid back. They could not deny what they had seen and heard in Jesus when he said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And with what measure of mercy you use, it will be given to you. They could not deny what Jesus had shown them and how even when Jesus stirred up a little trouble from time to time and he ended up teaching and blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. They could not deny what they saw in Jesus when God would call them to live a life of self-giving love because that's what they saw in Jesus. And they could not deny that, that, that what they had seen in Jesus and heard in Jesus that this self-giving love would be sustained by the faithful love. Of Jesus, They could not deny what they had seen and what they had heard. And because they could not deny what they had seen and they had heard, they would be able to see what they needed to see and hear. Here's what I'm trying to say. If we don't name what we've seen and heard God do yesterday, we will not be able to bear witness to what God wants us to see and hear today. If we don't take time to sit back and reflect on the wondrous works of God done, not just in my life, Say, not just my life, say it, not just my life, in our collective lives. When I listen to Robin's story and what God has done in Robin's life, it does something to me. I get to see a part of God and her story that I didn't know before. When I listen to God in the story and Laura's story, I get to see a part of God that I didn't know before. If we don't take time to name what it is we've seen and heard God do yesterday, we won't be able to see and hear what God wants us to see and hear today. So my question is, beloved, what have you seen and heard? What have you seen and heard of what God has done in the life of somebody else? Have you asked lately? See, over the last several weeks, I've been doing a little, a lot of reflection. And I was, I, a lot of times when I would look at the old messages um, that, I, that I had offered us, um, I would put notes of the current like church events that were going on in, in the messages so that I wouldn't forget to maybe speak to some things because I forget things. And Rob and I was telling Garrett earlier, I stumbled onto um, one of the messages toward the end of Garrett's rehabilitation after the accident. And it was the whole message was organized around being with you all through that and just all the different things and recounting what all God had done in that. And it took me back to, you know, being together in that moment and walking through that weight together. I, I, I stumbled onto um, some notes from 2017 and how Norma uh, Gambrell, who's with the Lord now, Tammy and, and Susie's mama, uh, how when she had gotten sick, how we, we as a church, and it was, it was like scores of people for real. It wasn't like 10 or 12. It was like lots of people because I had all the names down. We sat around the clock 24 hours a day to care for her and to be there for that family. I kept finding stories like that unwinding itself in our church time and time again. I even thought about like the last year and a half and some of the other beautiful things that have happened even despite the pandemic and how we um, started Theology Thursday and conversations are happening and how community is taking place because people are meeting on Zoom and they're talking about their faith and their life. 
For those who don't know, Theology Thursday is a Zoom meeting where we talk deeper about this, about what, what is said here on Sunday, and Mike McGee leads us in that. And I was like thinking in like the relationships people are forming, and I was thinking about the food distribution ministry and how God sent Laura, and Laura led us in that ministry, and, and some of our mothers who needed just an extra box of food from time to time was able to get a little help, and we had all these different people serving in this ministry, and um, people just joining another organization that was joined with another church serving this ministry and all the wonderful things that God was doing. <clears throat> and I was thinking about how all of that was done together. Because what I learned from this story and what I learned from just my own experience is that this kind of seeing and hearing that we're talking about happens best in community. Because we learn more about God from one another. The stories we tell one another about how we've come to understand Jesus shapes all of us. And some of these stories have the ability to awaken us from the cultivated blindness. Are you with me? Like some of these stories have the ability to open our eyes and awaken our consciousness. Because we see things from a perspective we had never seen. And it changes us, and it, and it does it together. And what I learn is just that we need each other. Y'all, we need each other. We need each other more in all of our differences than we do in all of our sameness. That's really where the beauty is. So when we had the, um, John, can I walk? Down? When we had the shared meal um, a while back, we only had about 40 or 50 people there. I mean, it was a good number, and I won't say like, well, I mean, that was good, pandemic, you know. But we had like 120 children. Um, and it was all of these kids. And I was watching them all play. Y'all were there? Like some of you there. You remember that? Watching them all play together, playing tag. And some would play a little bit and some would not. And then I'd see a kid come and run. And, and, some, and, I, and I was looking at the kids, the, all the kids, and I noticed the differences of all the kids. We, we had all these kids. Some were neurodivergent. Some were neurotypical. They're a black, brown, white, young, old, like they would not belong in a community together were it not for the community in which they find belonging that Jesus organizes. Like I'm not sure these kids would have just played with each other on any kind of playground, but they were playing together on Jesus' playground. And they were, and were, they were tagging each other, and, they were, they were, and then they got a, like somebody then, I think it was Aaron, gave them like a squirt bottle or something. Then it got ugly. But they were together. And they, and they weren't easy together. Some kids would kind of go over here, and then I'd see another kid come to them and say, hey, you want to play? And kid would like, not right now. And then eventually the kid would play. Like, they had to work at it. They didn't just naturally fall into the game. We had a couple of strong personalities who wanted to take over the game and change the rules. I'm not going to mention any names. But, 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 but they still played together. They worked at it, and that's, they learned something, and, and so and then Ian and I reflected on what he experienced in that time of play. And that's the kind of community God wants to create. And, and, and what I'm saying is all the differences didn't get in the way of them playing together. But they didn't overlook the differences. You know what they did? They embraced the differences. They met each other where they were, and they just played. But it took some work. Because these kind of, this kind of learning, this kind of growing happens best in community. So let's read on. Acts chapter 4. So, so, so here's what I mean. Listen to how the story goes. <clears throat> kind of wrap this up. After they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their own people. And that's to say their local church. 
and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. They lifted their voices together. Everybody say together. Together to God. <clears throat> to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. They kept naming things. Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan are predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. What they did when they came back together is they prayed. They quote a scripture. They praised God. They asked for boldness. They found strength. And in all of that, they did it together. And look at what kind of community they were. It's not over yet. Look at what kind of community we were. Read the rest of it. Go to verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Beloved, something powerful as possible when God's people come together in the spirit of Christ. But look at what kind of people they became. Verse 32. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace. Great grace was on all of them, for there was not a needy person among them because all those who own land or houses, oh, now, here we go, sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. What do we see here? We see that a community that is, that is willing to stay together and do the work of staying together is formed together and shares in life together y'all that's the kind of church we got to be and i need you to know that today for you who are in vimeo i'm i'm not just talking about coming to church on a sunday it includes all that and it involves all that but i'm talking about the church the other six days of the week i'm not talking about attending a gathering anybody can attend a gathering especially online it's attending to the people of God the other six days of the week that matters too. Especially as a local church. We have to cultivate a common life out of the cultivated blindness many of us bring to the table. We're not an affinity group church. Relationships and friendships aren't going to come natural and easy. It's going to take some work. Especially a church like ours. But we are called to thing. We are called to this. Because listen, there's no we if there's no me. If I'm not a part of it, then there's no we to that. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.